Hello, and welcome to The Witch Source. I'm your host, Whitney. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Uh, We are going to be talking about um, the sacred holiday of Samhain, or Samhain, um, also known as Halloween. Um, And I wanted to start um, with some history and legend and lore and um so I'm gonna read just to let you guys know this one is not recorded live um it's just been really hard to get everybody together because it's such a busy time um right here at October especially for witches right because there's so much going on and there's so much to prepare for um and it's there's so much magically going on at this time right now as well so um I decided to go ahead and record this episode and get it out before Samhain so that you guys will all have the information um, and can use it however you see fit. So I'm going to start with um, reading a little something uh, that my mother actually wrote. It's an essay on the uh, history of Halloween um, uh, and a book she's working on, but she wrote it several years ago, actually, and um, I ran across it in my emails, no less, uh, which was very, uh, you know, fortunate and great timing. Um, and since, uh, you know, everything happens for a reason, I think it's meant uh, to show up when it did so that I could read this guy- to you guys. So I'm going to... Um, read from her essay and then after that we'll talk about correspondences and a few other little magical things that I have put together to share with you guys and of course everything will be um, posted up in the group as well on Facebook the Witch Source Society if you're not there I hope that you are oh and a little note uh, it was funny I got uh, a message from a follower on Instagram and she she said, should I be worried that I'm your uh, 666th follower on Instagram? So we hit 666 on Instagram, and I thought that was so uh, awesome. First off, thank you, everybody who's uh, following on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook. I really appreciate it. Um, the more subscribers that we have, the more uh, I can do and the more you know functions that are available. Um, so I appreciate all of you that uh, follow us there and, um, are in the group as well. But I just thought that was so funny that coming up right here on Halloween, we hit six, six, six. So, uh, I'm excited about it. It's not a scary number to me at all. Um, so, but I messaged her back and told her, thank you. And, uh, that no, I thought it was very awesome that she was the 666th follower. All right. So here we go. Come along on a mystical journey into the history of Halloween, filled with fable and legends, spirits and goblins, feasts and fun. Halloween has become a holiday unlike any other, with historic roots stretching into Celtic times, Roman celebrations, and the early Catholic Church. Halloween is not only unique, it was destined to become magical to young and old alike and an American tradition. Loved that beginning. Okay. The history of Halloween traces a path from ancient Celtic times to the present. Originally a seasonal feast, Halloween owes much of its character to the Roman harvest celebration of the goddess Pomona. Hopefully I'm saying that right. (laughs) 
and even more to the customs of the early Catholic Church. It is the blending of these three traditions that produce the holiday we celebrate in America today. A unique holiday that is abundant in folklore and fable, as well as the magical and the mystical. The history of Halloween begins in ancient times in the lands of the Celts. What is uh, what are now Northern France, Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales, and Brittany. Uh, centuries before the birth of Christ, this rugged people forged a life from their hunting, herding, and agriculture. They celebrated two major seasonal events. Salvain on the onset of winter, when crops were stored and herds were brought to shelter, and Beltane, the onset of summer, when crops were planted and herbs herbs uh, were herds were released out to pasture. In northern Europe, winter came early and lasted close to six months. The first day of winter, November 1st, was considered the beginning of the new year and was celebrated as New Year's Day because it was the first day of the new year. And because there was a community gathering, it was the day to take care of annual business. People paid debts, renewed rents and land tinctures, tenures, sorry, and bought and sold livestock and land. Only the finest of the herds were brought into shelter. The others were slaughtered, along with the harvest, made it an occasion of great feasting and celebration. From the beginning, the communal feast called Salvin, meaning summer's end, was shared with the ancestral dead. The festival of Salvain began at sundown on October 31st and was the most sacred of all Celtic festivals. Its rituals helped link people with their ancestors and the past. The Celts believed that on the eve of Salvain, the Lord of the Dead opened the gates of the underworld, Tirnanog, so ancestral ghosts and demons could roam the earth, and so souls of those who had died during the year just ending could assemble and travel together to Tirnanog. Salvain marked the start of the season that rightly belonged to spirits, a time when the nights were long and dark fell early. It was a frightening time for people who were entirely subject to the forces of nature and who were superstitious, superstitious about the unknown and only a primitive sympathetic magic system to rely on for comfort. Salvain was a night of mystical glory. The Celts made offerings to the spirit world in hope that the spirits of their loved ones would make a brief visit home. Food and wine were set out for the dead souls of the ancestors, sure to be weary from their travels in Tirnanog. To advert unwanted guests, malicious spirits set free on that night. The Celts hid themselves in ghoulish disguises, so the spirits wandering about would make mistake them would mistake them for one of their own and pass by without incident. Mass villagers representing the souls of the dead also attempted to trick the spirits by forming a parade and leading them to the town limits. Salvain was also the most important of the four fire festivals of the Celtic calendar. On the night of October 31st, Celtic households extinguished their hearth fires and then gathered in a circle while the white-robed priests of the Celts, the Druids, solemnly quenched the sacred fire, altar fire and lit a new one by rubbing two pieces of oak together. The head of each household took some of the live embers from this fire and used them to kindle a new fire on the hearth. Fire that had been blessed in this way was considered protection against evil spirits and danger throughout the year. 
People observed that the sun grew weaker during the winter months and feared it would leave them forever in the cold night of winter. Since the Celts believed that the beget that begets like <laughs> sorry, since the Celts believed that like begets like bonfires, originally called bone fires, started with the sparks from the altar fire, were lit high on the hills in an attempt to fuel the waning sun. These fires were kept burning throughout the night to light the way for the souls of the dead and to frighten away any evil spirits that intended to harm the living. Druids constructed giant wickerwork cages in the shapes of animals and men, which were used to confine those to be sacrificed. They sacrificed animals and humans, criminals sentenced to death, on the fires and divined the future by observing their entrails. Because spirits were believed to know the secrets of the afterlife and the future, the Druids held that on the eve of Salvain, predictions had more power and omens could be read with more clarity. They divined the health of the tribe, the wisdom of a proposed move, the right time to make magic, and the key to curing sickness. The Celts also believed that Salvain was a time when a strange dark race of goblin-like creatures with occult powers emerged from their secret hiding places. Resentful of the human race for taking over the land that was once theirs, they delighted in creating as much mischief as possible. Some were merely pranksters, while others were more evil-natured and were regarded as dangerous. According to legend, every seven years, these creatures would steal human infants or small children and sacrifice them to their gods. Because Salvain was a night on which the fairy mound stood wide open, all manner of fairies, mostly baneful, were free to walk to earth. The earth. Any person careless or unfortunate enough to step in an open mound would fall victim to permanent enchantment by a fairy's spell and either succumb to madness or waste away from mysterious and incurable illness. According to Celtic folklore, on the eve of Salvain, an open fairy mound could, like quicksand, pull an unsuspecting mortal into the world of the fairies, where he or she would be doomed to remain forever. There were hundreds, perhaps even thousands, of different types of fairies who inhabited the ancient Celtic lands. But in Ireland, it was the puka that was particularly feared, feared on Salvain, when it took great pleasure in tormenting humans. The Celts devised numerous charms to protect against them, Selves, to protect themselves against the little people. The ringing of bells and the hanging of iron horseshoes above doorways were two methods believed to be effective in keeping spiteful fairies at bay. So that obviously sounds very familiar um, to witches' bells, which you know are hung on doors and um, door handles, and also the shoe horses that we see. Um, hung above doors. So it uh, goes back to that as well. Okay, so back to it. Uh, Salvin was a vital part of Celtic culture. Its rituals were passed from generation to generation through the oral tradition of the Druids. The genesis of many of America's Halloween traditions can be found in these ancient celebrations. Ghoulish masquerades, divination, fire, and spirit magic are elements associated with Halloween to this day. Other elements, such as romance and apple lore, came from other parts of the world. Just before the birth of Christ, the Celtic lands were conquered by legions of Roman soldiers, and the Druid Salvain practices merged with Roman mystic 
mythological beliefs. To the Romans, the apple was a symbol of love and fertility. The Roman divinity Pomona was the goddess of orchards and the harvest. She was celebrated on November 1st with feasts featuring apples, nuts, grapes, and other orchard fruits. It coincided with the Celts' Salvain festivities, and a synthesis naturally occurred. With the dawn of the first century AD, an even greater marriage of traditions occurred. These pagan traditions came face to face with the new religion of Christianity. Although the new church decreed the pagan practices of its enemies, in fact, it was in fact largely responsible for the health of the pagan Halloween in Celtic countries. Rather than obliterate pagan ways, Shrew church leaders set about assimilating existing pagan rites into their new Christian ones. Pagan folk had always celebrated a night where the dead returned. They had danced for centuries in the eerie light of the great fires on the eve of the festival of Salvain. The early Christians were wise to let these rituals persist. The church was looking to replace Salvin in the imaginations of their new converts. Although it took many years to make the transition, Salvain celebrations were gradually assimilated into the feasts of all saints and all souls. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III established November 1st as All Saints Day in honor of the saints that had died. It was no accident that the date coincided with Samhain. The church was still trying to absorb the pagan celebrations taking place at that time. The clergy and court encouraged their flocks to remember the dead with prayers instead of sacrifices. People were taught to bake soul cakes, little pastries and breads to offer in exchange for blessings rather than trying to appease the spirits with food and wine. Soul cakes were given to the town's poor. In return, the poor would pray for departed family members. Over time, the custom grew more popular, and young men and boys would go from house to house singing souling songs, but asking for ale, food, or money instead of soul cakes. Villagers were also encouraged to masquerade on this day, not to frighten unwelcome spirits, but to honor Christian saints. The church tried to convince the people that the great bonfires they lit in homage to the sun would instead keep the devil away. All Souls Day had its origins in the early 9th century as a special commemoration of the dead declared by Almalarius. In 993 AD, the Benedict Abbot St. Odilio of Cluny formally requested that All Souls Day be placed in the books of the church. Since All Saints Day had been widely celebrated on November 1st, Abbot Odilio chose November 2nd to be observed as a feast for all the departed, All Souls Day. During medieval times, All Saints Day became known as All Hallows, making the night before it All Hallows Even, which became Halloween and then Halloween. The church brought its saints' celebrations to every new land, land it conquered. The celebrations of Hollow Mass on the eve of All Saints, All Saints Day, and All Souls Day spread throughout Europe. The religion remembrance of the ancestral dead became an annual celebration of major importance. Each celebration retained a bit of its pagan mystery and each picked up the nuance of its host country. Later on, these celebrations would figure largely in the picture of Halloween in America. 
as European immigrants flooded the country in the 18th and 19th century. Famine in Ireland in 1820 and another more devastating famine in 1845 sent thousands of Irish Catholics looking for new homes in America. They brought with them their old Halloween customs of jack-o'-lanterns, costumes, and mischief. These Halloween festivities were quickly adopted by fun-loving Americans. Finding pumpkins to be more plentiful in the autumn season than were turnips, the Irish immigrants adopted the pumpkin as their Halloween jack-o'-lanterns, and a new tradition began. Today, Halloween continues to rule the 31st of October, casting its spell over young and old alike. Even though many of its original customs have been claimed by the cobwebs of the past, it remains the most sacred night of the year for witches, modern-day druids, and other neo-pagans, and perhaps the most entertaining one for children of all ages and cultural backgrounds. What began long ago as a druid festival may hold different meanings for different people, but one thing that most can agree on is the fact that no other holiday is as magical and mysterious as Halloween. All right, so there's some history and here's some more fun. Every year on Halloween, many children throughout the world dress up in costumes and go door to door in a ritual known as trick-or-treating. Dressed up as witches, devils, ghosts, and every type of monster imaginable, they collect candy and money and enjoy a night of spooky fun, unaware that their innocent masquerading is actually the remnant of a Celtic religious practice from times most ancient. Of course, the Celts believe that the spirits of the dead return to the world of the living each year on the eve of Salvan. Many of the spirits were mischievous in nature, while some possessed a genuine evil streak and delighted in bringing harm upon vulnerable humans. For protection, the Celts hid themselves in ghoulish disguises so the spirits wandering would mistake them for one of their own and pass by without incident. Safely camouflaged, the Celts could then gather in the night without becoming the victims of ghosts, fairies, and dynamic supernatural beings. Many historians agree that trick-or-treating, as we know it today, actually had its roots in the old custom known as souling. Those who went about the countryside souling would offer prayers for a family's departed loved ones in exchange for soul cakes or a handout of apples, nuts, or copper coins. The more gifts they received, the more prayers they promised to recite. The church approved of and encouraged the practice of souling because it was seen as an effective method of replacing the old pagan custom of leaving food and wine on the doorstep at night to appease the hunger of wandering spirits. But traditions have a way of changing as they pass down from one generation to the next. By the late 18th and early 19th centuries, souling had evolved from a religious custom into nothing more than a whimsical masquerade for children who would go door to door on Halloween night begging for apples and nuts and singing traditional Halloween folk songs. If the beggars were refused a treat, they would retaliate with a prank of some sort known as a trick, hence the term trick or treat. Traditional Halloween tricks included blowing smoke through keyholes, stopping up chimneys with pieces of turf, and smashing glass bottles against walls to simulate the sound of windows breaking. And of course, Halloween would just not be the same without the delightfully eerie glow of jack-o'-lanterns, which are often placed on front porches of houses or on window seals as a traditional Halloween decoration. The very sight of a pumpkin with a wicked face illuminating by a candle, illuminated by a candle helps to put most of us in the Halloween mood and also serves to welcome the costume children who go door-to-door trick-or-treating. 
Carving a pumpkin is a fun activity for anyone young or old. However, this custom is far from being a modern one. In fact, it is well over 2,000 years old. The origin of the jack-o'-lantern can be traced back to Ireland, where hollowed-out turnips rather than pumpkins were carved with simple faces and used as handheld lanterns. They were used not only to help light the way for those traveling the dark roads on Halloween night, but also to scare away earthbound ghosts, especially those who pursued the spirits of deceased loved ones and prevented them from finding their way to peace in Tiernanog. The phrase jack-o'-lantern was at one time used as a name for the unexplained phosphorescent light that sometimes appears in swamps and marshlands after sunset. This natural phenomenon understandably strikes fear in the hearts of many who would encountered its eerie luminous glow. According to European folk legend, the mysterious jack-o'-lantern light is a, is a wandering soul that has been turned away by both heaven and hell and is condemned to spend eternity earthbound and restless. It is a dangerous one to see, some say, because they have often been known to beckon humans to follow them into the marshes where they ultimately drowned or mysteriously disappeared and were never heard from again. The curious name of the jack-o'-lantern appears to reflect the church's early efforts to link Halloween and its pagan customs to the Prince of Darkness, as Jack is another name for the devil. Yet an old folk tale that hails from Ireland attributes the invention of the jack-o'-lantern to a man whose name was Jack. Disliked by nearly everyone in the village, Jack was notorious for his drunkenness and mean disposition. He was drinking in the local pub when, he, when the time came for the devil to claim his doomed soul. He talked the devil into having one last drink with him before taking him to hell. But after they finished their drinks, Jack informed the devil that he did not have enough money to pay him for the drinks. He cleverly convinced the devil to change himself into a sixpence and then change back to his true form after Jack paid for the tot of grog. The devil agreed to the plan, but as soon as he transformed himself into a shiny new sixpence, Jack snatched the coin from the tabletop and without hesitation deposited it into his coin purse, which had a silver catch in the shape of a cross. The devil, rendered powerless by the cross, was trapped inside the coin purse and unable to escape. Upon his death, heaven would not permit Jack to enter the pearly gates because he was filled with too much greed. He was also denied entry into hell because he had managed to trick the devil, which understandably angered his satanic majesty to an extent that no mortal had ever angered him before. Jack was eating a turnip when the irate devil threw him a lighted coal from the fiery pit of hell. Jack picked up the coal and placed it inside the turnip, creating a lantern that he used to illuminate his way as his restless spirit wandered the earth in search of a final resting place. So here we see a little bit of the history of the jack-o'-lantern and where that came from. And yes, it was actually a turnip um, and the Irish legend behind that with dear old Jack. Um, so that's fun. Um, but yeah, you know, doing jack-o'-lanterns at Halloween is, you know, 
one of the best things that we could do. Um, I always find it fun. And actually, it is one of the crafts that I have listed um, for you guys that we'll talk about in a little bit uh, with a recommendation on what you can carve into your pumpkin. Uh, and we also get a little bit of the history of how we came up with the idea of souling and how that got turned into trick-or-treating. So um, hopefully you guys enjoyed that uh, brief but fun uh, explanation and history of Halloween and where it came from and a little bit of the fun uh, legends and lore there. All right, so now to some fun things. Um, you guys know that I typically like to do our um, correspondences. So let's go ahead and, and do those. So for Samhain, Salvain, or Halloween, Hallow Mass, um, October 31st, uh, the solar system that is uh, related, corresponds with Halloween, is of course the moon, and the phase is the new moon. Um, so, and it doesn't mean that, you know, I, and really, people really like a full moon on Halloween, at least I do. I think it's a whole lot more fun, it also gives you more light to see what you're doing outside. Um, but it is actually uh, associated with the new moon phase because it's it's the start, right? It's the beginning. Um, it is uh, traditionally what witches observe as their new year because historically it was uh, the new year, time for new business transactions and all of that as we saw in the uh, historical reading there. Of course, the season is autumn. The colors are black and orange. Uh, the trees are the apple, beech, blackthorn, locust, pomegranate, willow, witch hazel, and yew. Some herbs from the garden are angelica, broom, catnip, garlic, heather, mugwort, and sage. And then some miscellaneous uh, spices and such are allspice, bittersweet, uh, patchouli, and reed. The stones associated here are carnelian, uh, of course, because it's got that beautiful orange, uh, obsidian and onyx, both because they're black, but also protective. Um, you know, as a witch, you should know anytime you go out, you want to wear your protective stones. Um, but definitely when you go out on Halloween, I would highly recommend wearing your protective uh, stones and jewelry. So your obsidians and onyx and, and your protective wear crystals. Um, fairies are associated with Halloween. Uh, some goddesses uh, associated is Hecate, uh, Ishtar, Kali, uh, Maka, Rhiannon. Um, gods are Arwen, Belenus, Coyote, uh, the Dagda, and uh, Loki, Hades, Odin and Pluto. Uh, the animals are, of course, the bat, the cat, but also the boar, the cattle, uh, and the dog. And of course, you know, the cattle were, again, they were brought in. It was time to bring them in. And, you know, they saved the best ones and, and slaughtered the rest to have to eat throughout the winter time. 
And so some of the best um, magical focuses for this time is any kind of magic that um, has to do with the crossroads, um, darkness, or death. Um, divination is a great time to do divination is on Halloween. And, um, you know, I do think it's for the same reasons that uh, historically, you know, the veil is thin and the spirits are close. And, um, you know, you can find out from communicating with the spirits, you know, things from the, the past and uh, what's going on in the future and, and ask questions and communicate with them. Um, so also on here is honoring your ancestors. Um, also, it's a great time for introspection. Any kind of magic that involves the other world or the underworld uh, release. It's a great time to work on some releasing work as you're letting things go. You could basically treat this uh, Halloween time magically, uh, same as you would the traditional new year of, you know, December 31st, uh, because it is a, a new year. So you want to release the old and start to make way and embrace for the new. It's a great time for that as well. It's also a great time for visions um, and you know, a lot of psychic things happening as well. Um, and also it's a time of gaining wisdom from the crone. Um, it's a good time for that as well. So there's that. Um, let's see what else we have. Um, any kind of, uh, anything to do with fairy or fairy magic or the spirits, of course. Okay. So, um, a couple fun things I wanted to share. Um, that I'm not sure if you guys know, but uh, right around Halloween, you can see a couple different constellations in the sky, which I think is pretty cool. So, uh, while you're outside, you know, look up, um, you should be able to see rising along the Southern horizon. So if you're in the, if you're in the Northern hemisphere, um, most of this can be seen only at Samhain, only at Halloween. Um, and that's remaining true to its elusive mythological nature. But you can see um, on that southern horizon, the phoenix in the sky. So it's an obscure constellation spreading its wings into the night sky uh, around 10 p.m. So if you'll look, um, you should be able to find it. So, and again, the the phoenix is that symbol of death and rebirth. We talked about that when we were talking about, um, you know, the Scorpio feeling and some of the moon magic that you could do, um, you know, but we, we are, it's, it's a time for, again, that new year, that death and rebirth. And, but if you will, uh, and you guys can get the, the app, it's called Skyview app and they have a free version. But yeah, and again, it has to be on Halloween night around 10 p.m. Look up into the sky and see if you can see uh, Phoenix. You should be able to see the Phoenix's wings um, just above the treetops um, if you look to the southern horizon. So, uh, so the story of the phoenix is it's a mythical bird that rises from its own ashes once every 500 years. Um, is self-created, 
uh, through parthenogenesis and is said to complete the cycle of death and rebirth through fire. It is described as a gigantic bird with resemblances to the peacock, pheasant, and eagle with a prominent crest and spectacular plumage that includes all the colors of the rainbow. An extraordinarily gentle creature, the phoenix is said to feed only on air, which incidentally is also the food of fire. Description of the phoenix appear in several different mythologies, Egyptian, Greek, and Mesopotamian among them. Uh, in Egypt, the phoenix is called Benu and is depicted in hieroglyphics as a heron-like bird sacred to Osiris and Ra. The Benu makes its home inside the obelisk and represents resurrection and the morning star. Its ashes are said to ignite in Heliopolis upon the altar within the sun, temple of the sun. Various accounts say that Greek historians... Uh, Hizad observed the living phoenix, while other versions claim that he never did see the bird, but that its fantastical reputation inspired him to include references to it in his writings. So, historically, the phoenix can be seen um, in several places. So, not only is the phoenix visible in the night sky, there is another mythical winged creature that you can view on Halloween as well. Um, and it's an easy to recognize constellation in autumn. And it's Pegasus, the winged horse. So again, around 10 p.m. Uh, on Halloween, the great square of Pegasus will be very close to the zenith, which is the point directly overhead. So Pegasus is visible when facing south and is characterized by f four second magnitude stars, okay? And these stars make up the central window that is this constellation's most recognizable feature. So on a clear night in the city, uh, the window of Pegasus is easily spotted. But on a clear and moonless night in the country, that same window reveals dozens of stars, so looking through the window at Pegasus is akin to looking back through time. What you are actually seeing is the edge of our galaxy and all of the history that it contains. The light of the stars you are seeing has traveled billions of miles through space to reach your eyes. Pegasus is a bringer of inspiration. So I really hope that you guys will go outside and uh, check out these uh, two constellations um, that can be predominantly seen only on uh, Halloween night at around 10 p.m. again in the northern hemisphere. So I thought that was pretty cool. I wanted to share that with you guys. Um, I also found a ritual um, for Samhain to set yourself free. So again, thinking about that idea of release and this new year and what are you letting go of. Um, and this works with a little bit of chord magic, which is fun. Uh, I don't think we've talked a whole lot about chord magic yet on the podcast. So you will need, uh, and I, I have all of these, which is so much fun. So I'm excited to, to, to do some magic here. Um, a ball of red yarn, your athame, a cauldron, and some matches. 
So you're going to take your ball of red cotton yarn or thread and cut it into nine inch pieces. And it's important that you choose a natural substance for this exercise and avoid synthetics like acrylic or polyester, uh, mainly because you're going to be burning those. But what you do um, is you knot the ends of each piece of yarn together, forming a circle. And you're going to give each one a name. And the name is going to be something in your life that you feel like is holding you back. So this can be something from the past, like a past hurt that you keep dwelling on, a regret you may have, pain, grief, um, anything like that, right? Uh, qualities about yourself that you no longer want to hold on to, anything like that. Um, you can also look at, um, you know, past relationships, um, you know, people, incidences, like any of those trauma points. Um, or triggers that you're ready to let go of. So what you want is a red, um, your red yarn, and you're going to like basically make a, a bracelet out of it. Um, so you want to make sure it's nine inches and then you knot it together to make that, that bracelet essentially. Um, so it's time to lay all these things down, right? This is what you are releasing yourself from. You're, you're getting rid of these. But these are the things that you've been carrying around, these burdens that you've been carrying around um, that you're ready to have the strength to be able to give them up, let them go, and cast them away. Okay, and the number of threads that you use, it's up to you. It's, it's based on how many things that you wanna get rid of, okay? But what you're going to do is you're going to put them around your wrist and tell them specifically, I have carried you long and far. Your burden has been my teacher and I accept your lessons. Now I summon the strength to release you for your presence serves me no longer. Okay, that's your spell. Essentially, that's your, that's your, um, your chant that you're going to use. And then you're going to take your FMA and begin cutting through the circlets. And the reason that you're using the FMA is that typically your FMA is not that overly sharp. So you're going to have to really work at it to, to cut these cords and cut these, um, these, these burdens away, um, especially through this yarn. Okay. And so the struggle that you have and cutting these off with a dull blade with your athame um, is representative of the struggle that you've been having with carrying these things okay so it's this smaller struggle is a representation of something much greater right which is your struggle but also you accepting responsibility for what for these events and for the influence that these things have had over you. And that's where the magic is, right? You're, you're saying no more. I acknowledge you. I see you no more. Okay. Then when your bonds have been cut, burn them in your cauldron saying, I send you back to the dark mother to be consumed by the flames of transformation. You are purified and changed forever in this fire reduced to your pure and simple essence. You are no longer bound to me. I send you back to the mother and away you will go. 
that something new and blessed in me shall grow. Okay, and that's your chant for when you're burning them. When the flames subside and the cauldron cools, gather the ashes in a small pot and take them outside. Determine which way the wind is blowing and stand with the wind at your back. Blow the ashes into the air. Let them dissipate and vanish. Um, And then prepare yourself to make a new start on November 1st on your new year, New Year's Day. So that's, that's one ritual that you can do. And again, I will post it up in the group for you. Um, I also have um, another little charm here for Samhain. Okay, and so for this one, you're going to take, you're going to need your, your mortar and your pestle. And you're going to combine equal parts of pine. So you can do either pine needles or resin. Uh, clove buds and dry ginger root and you're going to grind them together into a fine powder place the mixture in the center of a three inch round piece of black felt gather up the edges and tie them closed with a red thread and you're going to wear this herbal charm on your person or keep it in your pocket and the pine will deflect evil while the clove is sacred to the goddess Hecate or Hecate, um, and the ginger is an offering to the dead. So this is a little Samhain charm that you can make for yourself um, and wear for protection um, and, and asking, um, you know, for, for the goddess to help you and, and for your ancestors to help you and protect you and uh, keep evil at bay. So that's another one for you guys. I'll post that one as well. Um, okay, and then I wanted to talk about um, a craft that you guys can do. So we were talking about jack-o'-lanterns. So here's an idea that you can do for a jack-o'-lantern. You can carve a pentagram um, in your jack-o'-lantern. So you can just find a pattern um, online and, you know, use it to trace lines on your pumpkin to cut out. And, you know, if you accidentally cut out part of the arms of the star you can always put them back together with toothpicks but so you're going to you know be calling upon the upright pentagram as your protection right it's going to be your shield um, for Halloween night to keep away uh, any unwanted spirits or um, you know evil bad things unwanted guests all that right so you're going to have your upright pentagram and carve that into your pumpkin to your jack-o'-lantern. But a little something that you can do to get it a little extra boost, especially if you plan on contacting um, relatives or family members on this uh, sacred night, is use the inverted pentagram, um, which has a lot of power and people are a little confused by it and think it um, is connected with Satanism and there's a lot of fear associated with it. Um, but that's really not true. Not, not for most witches. That's really not true, especially since they don't believe in a Satan. Um, but what we're going to use the inverted pentagram so that the two points are facing up and the main point is facing down, um, is we're going to see the two, the, the space between the two upright points as, um, a gateway, as like a doorway that only allows in 
you know, good and loving spirits that you are inviting in that you want to talk to. So whether that be like family members, something like that, so that only they can pass through that doorway. So in the candle that you put inside of your um, upright pentagram jack-lantern, carve the inverted pentagram in the candle that you're going to put in the pumpkin. Um, And you can say over it, may my beloveds from beyond the veil follow your gentle glowing light, illuminate their journey on this sacred night of nights. And so you can use that as a way to protect yourself using that upright pentagram, but then also allow um, those who you want to come through, through that uh, inverted uh, pentagram on your candle and if you want to anoint your candle and dress it with different herbs and spices and such that's fine too it gives it a little extra boost so um let me guys let me know you guys if anybody does that and how it works out for you how it goes if you felt like it helped you make a better stronger connection um to your loved ones um you know and and gave you that added layer of safety and protection Um, A little something that you can do, a little uh, Halloween treat, um, is that you can take the pumpkin seeds and wash them off and then dry them on a paper towel. Um, Heat your oven to 350. And when your pumpkin seeds are dry, um, spread them out on a single uh, even layer on an ungreased cookie sheet and sprinkle them with salt, pepper, cayenne pepper, um, and bake them for 15 minutes or until they're crispy and golden. Um, Or you could do uh, spices like a little bit of sugar and cinnamon, um, whatever really calls to you, nutmeg, uh, or if you have like pumpkin pie spice already, um, and you can bake your pumpkin seeds and eat those. So another thing that is traditionally done on Halloween night is people have what's called a a dead supper or a... um, dumb supper and this is uh where you would leave out um a plate so it's what it's a it's an old custom um where you set out a plate for wandering spirits on halloween night so basically it, it, it goes back to that the leaving out cakes and wine right um so this is a little uh, recipe that I found that you can use as like the soul cakes, essentially, that you can set out. Um, so you need two mixing bowls, one large and one small, um, three knives, two dull and one sharp, a cookie sheet, a pastry brush, or a new and clean paintbrush suitable for use with food, uh, one third cup butter, one and three fourths cups uh, whole wheat flour, three tablespoons honey, two and a half teaspoons baking powder, one fourth teaspoon salt, one eighth teaspoon ground cloves, one fourth teaspoon cinnamon, two eggs, a half a cup of pomegranate seeds, four to six tablespoons of heavy cream, and one tablespoon of water. And I'll put this in the group, you guys, in case you want to do this um, 
recipe. But heat your oven to 400 degrees. In the small mixing bowl, combine the cinnamon, clove, and salt. Stir in a clockwise motion with the index finger of your left hand, saying, oops, sorry, hold on. Um, let's see. Lady of the Crossroads 3, with spices I come to honor thee. Cinnamon for the psychic eye, clove to please you most, and salt to purify. Um, I think I forgot to mention, this is to uh, appease Hecate, or um, Hecate. Uh, okay, so then in the large bowl, combine the flour, baking powder, add the spice mixture, and the honey. Use the tool doll knives, cut in the butter using crossing motions until the mixture resembles fine crumbs. Stir in one beaten egg and the pomegranate seeds. Sprinkle the mixture with a tablespoon of water, saying, by water be thou blessed. Next, add the cream very gradually, a tablespoonful at a time, until the dough begins to leave the sides of the bowl. Turn the dough out into a lightly floured surface and knead about 10 times. Pat the dough into a rectangular shape about a half an inch thick and use the sharp knife, cut the dough into small diamond shapes. It should come out with about 15. Place the cakes on an ungreased cookie sheet. Beat the other egg. Using the brush, paint the tops of the cakes with the egg. Bake the cakes for 10 to 15 minutes or until they are golden brown. Place the cakes along with the chalice or glass of dried red, of dry red wine or alternately you could use cranberry or pomegranate juice. Um, put that on your doorstep next to your jack-o'-lantern, speaking the following words as you do. Blessed spirits of my ancestors, and all my beloveds who have gone from this life, ye who dwell in the summer lands, who hath crossed the long river of night, to realms beyond the vale, and sailed to the Macken boat of Ra, in darkness to arrive on a distant shore, far beyond my reach, partake in of this repast I have set out for ye, and know that love yet flows in my blood, and the blood of the mother flows in me. So again, I will put all of that in uh, the group in case you guys want to do it. Um, if in the morning the cakes and wine are gone, you can take this to mean that the spirits visited you in the night. If the cakes remain at the daylight, pour the wine or juice as a libation into the earth and crumble and scatter the cakes to feed the birds. So that's another little something that you guys can do. Um, let's see, there's some other things I wanted to share. Um, oh, I, I did find, um, a Samhain incense that you can make and burn. And it's a mixture of bay leaves, nutmeg, and sage. So you can make your own kind of incense and burn, um, that and, uh, especially for Samhain. And of course, you can decorate your altar with orange and black. Um, you can use different altar cloths, candles. You can decorate with apples, pomegranates, um, carcinthiums, uh, aka mums, uh, and marigolds. Uh, let's see. Oh, and of course your jack-o'-lantern. And you can do small jack-o'-lanterns too, like to mark your quarters if you're going to do a full-out ritual. 
um, especially if you're going to be doing it outside. Um, you can mark your four corners um, before casting your circle with little um, jack-o'-lanterns. Um, something like that is uh, definitely cool to do. Um, and just as a side note, um, the the Hollow Mass or All Hallows Eve Halloween Salvin um, is typically celebrated when the sun is at 15 degrees Scorpio. And of course, uh, the primary focus, again, transformation, regeneration, honoring the dead, divination, honoring the harvest, and preparing for winter. It's the second oldest unbroken holiday in the European world and is approximately 6,000 years old. Um, popular mythos also include um, Caridwin's Cauldron of Transformation, Feeding the Morrigan, uh, and the Festival of the Dark Goddess. Um, and that's where we have that call and nod to Hecate or Hecate. Um, so it's, it's a very sacred night, especially to witches. Again, you know, it's a time for um, dancing and celebration and fun, but also honoring the dead and doing your rituals and um, honoring the goddess and, you know, just having a, you know, a, a good time and giving thanks for the year that you've had and preparing for, um, you know, hopefully a prosperous year to come. Um, it's also a great time to, you know, visit cemeteries and place flowers on the graves of the deceased loved, one, loved ones because that veil is thin. It's also a good time to talk to them. Um, I don't recommend using Ouija boards simply because a lot of people don't know how to use them properly and safely. Um, so I wouldn't recommend that. But know that you can talk to your, your ancestors, okay? You can talk to your relatives and loved ones who have passed over out loud or in your mind. I mean, when you think of them, you essentially call them up. You are invoking them when you, when you think of them and talk to them in your mind. And typically they can respond very quickly. If you get a thought um, that comes in, like within a snap of your fingers when, you, when you've thought of them or, you know, have been talking to them and you feel like you got a response, don't doubt that. Don't second guess it, right? That, that's your, part of your gift and that is part of them answering you. Um, and it does happen extremely quickly. It's like, like that instant thought in your head. Um, especially right now when the veil is so thin. So if you, if you do talk to them, you can maybe could be through journaling, through writing. And, and if you feel like you're getting an answer, you're getting a response, even if you feel like it's just your own thoughts, um, take that as them speaking to you and, and honor it as a gift that it is. Um, because I very much believe it is them speaking back to you and, and letting you know um, they're there. Um, also remember that this is a fire festival, so it's a great time to, um, you know, build your fires, uh, your bonfires, or um, do a fire in your fire pit. Anything like that would also be very befitting. Um, and if you're just going out and having a good time, do that too and have fun and just celebrate the day and celebrate the time. And um, 
yeah, I hope that uh, you guys have enjoyed this solo podcast episode on the history uh, of Halloween, along with some fun stuff that you guys can do. And I'll try to get everything posted up um, this weekend before we actually hit Halloween on Monday. Um, Because I know I'm going to be very busy taking my little witch around to fun Halloween uh, events um, and different things that we have going on. Um, I'll post some pictures in the group. She's uh, she's a hoot um, and a lot of fun. So I hope anybody with kids out there, I hope that you guys have a a fun and safe Halloween and that you get to teach your kids um, a little bit of this history behind the fun um and keep them educated and 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 keep the the mystery and the magic alive um for yourself and for them all right you guys so until next time don't forget to stay magical hi guys don't forget you can also um like follow share subscribe Uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. We appreciate it. Please leave a review anywhere you're listening to this podcast. Uh, It really helps. Um, And please share. Share with anybody that you think would enjoy this. Also, don't forget to check out the website, thewitchsource.com. It's a great place to get some magical supplies. We also have the blog, which will give you some great information um, from some candle magic info to what do I do with my spell remnants. Also, there's a list of all the podcast episodes. So if you're looking for something specific, you can search and find which episode it is that you want to listen to. um, And then you'll know where to go to find it. And as always, all the podcast episodes are available on YouTube as well. So if you can't find anywhere else to listen, you can listen there and share from there. We greatly appreciate it. And if you haven't, please make sure you like our Facebook page or hit that follow button um, because it really does help. So until next time, you guys, stay magical.